Michael Perlet. I'm Asher Collins, and together we bring you Exercise Equals Life Podcast. Thank you for joining the Exercise Equals Life Podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. Dennis Shavelson. He's a biomedical engineer. He's joining us from Tampa, Florida. Hi, um, good afternoon. Thank you, Dennis, for joining us. My pleasure. I hope the uh, viewers and uh, listeners are going to get some little tidbits and some helpful hints. Absolutely. So you come to you come today with a whole background, um, lots of experience, degrees, relevancy in biomechanics pertaining to lower extremity, the foot. And that's where I want to base a lot of today's conversation around. Okay, uh, at this point, I'm in Tampa, Florida, uh, functioning in a, a fitness center as a, um, as a certified health coach, and I'm working from the ground up. Um, in other words, we're all impacted by gravity of the earth trying to pull us into its central core and vaporize us, and the hard ground, which creates a shock wave that keeps us from driving into the earth. And without those, we couldn't stand and walk and task and move. But unfortunately, with them, they caused the generation, deformity, um, poor performance, uh, injury, and, uh, and uh, postural problems. Okay. So you mentioned the key word here being from the ground up. So we can kind of use that as our leading point um, for the discussion, right? So building the groundwork from the ground up. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, Da Vinci in the 1500s, he said that we're the kings of the animals because of our brains and our feet. Uh, Our brains sit high up and, of course, with vision and smell, uh, but they stay far away from the ground, and it's the job of the foot and posture to stabilize, support, and balance us so that the brain doesn't get wobbled around and it can do what it has to do. And so anything that happens at the level of the foot is translated up the posture eventually to the brain. And then the brain sends information back for us to move. So if we wanted to walk, we would lift up one foot, move our center of gravity forward, go into a fall and control that fall by walking. If we stop suddenly, you fall down. So that's just a tasking example of how things work from the ground up. Yes, let's begin at the foot then, right? Um, your most recent paper, um, The Foot Centering Biomechanics Part 2. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, basically, I think the comparison that the folks would understand would be blood typing. There was a time when we gave transfused blood to, uh, to anybody and certain people were dying immediately of transfusion reactions. And so there are five different common foot types. Each one of those types has pathology either in the back, middle, or front of the foot or a combination. And I have a patented system of methodology where once you take two simple tests of the back of the foot and two tests of the front of the foot, you know exactly where the pathology is, whether it's in the back, the middle, or the front, and therefore you can be aggressive with diagnosing and treating that part of the foot. Interesting. So this novel technique, can you explain any, any further how the assessment works? Um, basically, uh, 
It involves the motion, let's see, every joint has what we call a triplane motion. It moves on the frontal, transverse, and, and sagittal plane. And uh, usually a joint has a dominant plane, like the ankle joint moves the foot up and down. Uh, that would be the sagittal plane, and the back of the foot goes on the frontal plane. And so we measure the... Um, the two ranges of motion are called pronation and supination. And so we measure the supination end range of motion. You move the back of the foot, let's say, as far as it'll go this way, take a measurement and then move it in the other direction and see how far it goes that way. And that gives you what we call the serm-perm interval. And for instance, in the back of the foot, if the serm-perm interval is high, that's usually no good. Um, because the heel moves too much and muscles can't um, leverage. And, and the same thing sort of goes in front of the foot if, if the motion is too high or too low. And so we would guide our treatment to that part of the foot with, with treatment that would either increase or reduce that motion that we live in. Okay. I should point okay. out that motion within that, that interval is injury-free, quick, easy, no degeneration, no problems. Once you go beyond that motion, I guess the thing everybody would realize is if I took my finger back too far, I would get a fracture. Yeah. Before we go any further, can you just explain what the CIRM-PERM interval means, what it stands for? Uh, for supinatory end range of motion, S-E-R-M, and pronatory end range of motion. Again, if I was looking at this would be one and this would be the other. And then we have the CIRM-PERM interval, that motion that exists in between the two ends. Okay. And because we don't have video technology through the podcast, can you explain which motion that was? What oh, I motion see. That yes, I'm moving my hand remember. to the uh, dismay of the audience. Um, in the ankle, we're talking about up being... Um, uh, up being supinatory and down being pronatory. So for instance, if, if my, the big toe joint was on the ground at its end range of motion down, you would have an arched foot. If at that point the motion lifts up, then uh, you would have a, a rigid foot. And so the analogy here for the audience would be a scooter that has a back wheel and a front wheel but it couldn't stand and stabilize and balance uh, independently until you lower its kickstand. That would be the third spot on the ground that the, the scooter would be going. You'd never ride with the kickstand down because it would hold you back. And so the big toe joint is coming down and engaging the what I call the bio kickstand. And when it lifts up, you can move and task, but then when you stop and you wanna be stable and balanced again, you have to lower that kickstand. And so we do that thousands of times a day across our lifetime. Very interesting point you make there. Regarding the bio kickstand, I know we kind of just segued into that, but can you explain a little bit more if that's new to your, your environment? What, well, how you come um, up with that? biomechanics before this was focused on the back of the foot as the most important spot. And now... I have declared this bio kickstand the most complex machine of the human movement body. And um, 
it's the one that's broken most often and that creates bunions and heel pain and knock knees and and lordosed backs and uh, you know hip replacements so if you're diagnosed with what i would call a broken kickstand and you don't fix it um you you cannot you know you cannot fix anything going upward and in the past we've divided things into those things that work the kickstand plantar fasciitis and bunions and iliotibial band and and hamstrings and uh, they all work to to engage the kickstand but but if i had a broken tire with a deflated you know bladder and a broken rim and three broken spokes and all i did was fix the three broken spokes the machine is still broken yeah so with this bio kickstand you mentioned a lot of more up upstream muscles regions of the leg iliotibial do you see that with the ankle we have to look a little bit more upstream see the effects of different foot positions the, the ankle is simply like the transmission of a car your motor spins you know around going forward and the the transmission translate that to the wheels turning in a different direction so the ankle is basically translates the up and down motion of the foot to internal and external rotation of the posture like knocking your knees or going bow-legged or bending your back or things of that nature yeah no it's amazing how much control we the ankles do have over our human movement locomotion well the ankles really are translating the it's the foot that has the power and motion i'll give you a for instance everybody knows that as we grow older we get shorter because our posture collapses but bones stop growing when we're around 20 and so if i was a size 9 when i was 20 and now i'm 45 years old and i'm size 11 those last two shoe sizes are not growth they're collapse yeah that's a pretty good example yeah so we can translate that into uh diagnosing and treating problems of uh root cause problems in other words not not using a pill or maybe surgery but using science and uh strappings and and uh inserts and um exercises to fix the bio kickstand that now would supply s s s s b uh stability support strength um symmetry and balance into the posture okay <laughs> so um, i could i could add that uh at 3 years of age a, a horse wins the kentucky derby and at 3 years of age we can't even kick a soccer ball and that's the time that the brain is connecting to the feet through the spinal cord up until then it's disconnected and once it connects we basically have those five things to change in order to function and task again if i was using the example of walking uh, we would lift up one leg and change the balance of the foot we would tilt the body forward and you'd go into a fall and then you would con- control the stability and support of one foot with the movability of the other to control the fall and so we start practicing that when we're 3 
and and load the brain with information and and i guess i would say it never stops as we keep adding tasks and different uh stimuli and different different um weight different sports different different lifestyle yeah it's amazing all the the, the neural component right how many impulses are being sent across the neurons how many new neuros new neurons are being formed um through that that, that learning for period. Yes, but but uh, in in opposition, there's something called the blood-brain barrier. It is a Correct. special um, covering of the um, arteries that are, and the nerves that are in the brain um, to protect them from poisons and toxins and things like that. So you can get a sick stomach and a sick kidney and a sick liver, but you rarely get a sick brain. Um, but it also keeps out important nutrients and, and, uh, and, uh, different, um, different catalysts and humors that are necessary in the brain. And so, uh, we start out with about 10 million, uh, million brain cells. And, and, uh, by the time we're 40 or 50, we're only making about 700 new ones a day, which is a very small number which explains things like, uh, like Alzheimer's, where they talk about short-term and long-term memory. So if you're, if you're not having your new, your new motor, your, your 700 new ones filled with new ideas and stimuli, um, you would have short-term problems. And if, if your older cells are dying and not being replaced, you would have long-term memory problems. Hmm. Yeah. The, the cognitive component's quite large in this, but bringing it back down to the foot level. Okay. Through development, correct? When does a biokickstand in development really take its shape? Well, it, 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 it takes its capability at the age of around three, and by the time you're six or seven, the brain has its own, I'll compare it to a computer, the brain has its own defaults, and if the defaults are set up on a, a bad biomechanical foot, a, a collapsed or flat or poorly functioning foot, um, we would have to default the, the brain, uh, in other words, change the structure or muscularity, the, the motorization of the foot via the biokickstand, um, and then create new defaults in the brain that would be more uh, better performance, uh, better um, quality of life, uh, prevention, things like that. Okay. So What's when, the... I, when I meet a client, I foot type them, and then we decide where their problem is. We then next um, apply some tape or some inserts that would hold them in a healthier position. Here the comparison would be... Um, malaligned teeth where we use braces to hold the teeth in a healthier position or towards a healthier position and over time the body adapts tight things become looser and loose things become tighter until the mouth is balanced and the muscles around the jaw and such are working well and then we could remove the brace that's kind of what i'm doing at the level of the foot that holds the foot in a healthier position and and over time the body changes to that position and then the muscles gain, I, I guess, new jobs or the, the tight muscles become 
or the overused muscles become less used and the weak and unused and atrophied muscles get stronger. And now we have a balanced system to work the mechanics. So two things on that. Which foot type do you see most often? That's a great question. Um, unlike what we are, are led to believe that people have flat feet, most of us have flat feet that exist in the front of the foot only. Uh, and that would be the type that's rigid or has a low perm interval in the back and, a, and too high a perm interval in the front. Um, that would be about 70% of all feet. Um, and for instance, the really collapsed flat, they call it a pronated foot. That's about 12 or 13% of the population. And then we have very high arched rigid feet that are, uh, uh, let's say they're rigidly on the ground and can't move that well. And most of them have a neurological component or they're people who are like Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, they, they've made their posture so, so tight and strong and muscular that they can hardly move. So I'm, I'm more apt to try and get somebody to be like Bruce Lee than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Back to the, the CERN perm, that interval, okay. right? Can, can you explain whether the advantage is to have a greater supinatory end range of motion or a greater advantage to have a, a end range of motion. I think for this audience that's diving into a little too deep on this subject, in other words, it's really an understanding that the person would almost know themselves. Am I a tight, rigid, you know, uh, am I inflexible or am I too elastic? And, and so if you're too elastic, your CERM perm interval somewhere is too high. And if you're too tight, then your CERM perm interval is too low. And at this point, um, some professional, a coach, a trainer, a podiatrist, a physical therapist, a chiropractor would be able to tell you what, what your foot type is uh, if they're certified and, and then work with you that way. Okay. Uh, what's, the, what's a method to then alleviate or correct the, the diagnosis, correct? Well, we, we um, another... You're asking very good questions, um, and they're not prepared, so I apologize if my answers are off the cuff, because they are. Um, but in general, um, I'm organizing um, the, um, repeat the question, sorry. Yeah, so a tactic or... Oh, okay, I got it. Modality so you would use to correct we would either use a, a very strong kinesiology tape, the tape that you see, the colorful tape on people's shoulders and knees um, to hold the foot, put the kickstand down in place and hold it in place. Or if the back of the foot is too flexible, put the tape on to keep it from moving. And we would make custom uh, foot inserts that are called dynamic foot braces, like, like a mouth brace. Um, that would force the, the, the weight of the arch up and the kickstand down, uh, therefore improving the mechanics. And now it would be up to the muscles that are working the kickstand uh, work more efficiently if the kickstand is working. And by doing that, the muscles get stronger and stronger and more balanced. 
there's one muscle that raises the arch of the foot, another one that lowers the arch of the foot. And in order to stabilize the foot, they both have to be working at the same time to act like a stirrup under the foot to hold it in place. And so if you're doing something like moving side to side, playing tennis, one foot is locked, the other foot is unlocked. And, and when you switch to the other side, it reverses. And that's how many thousands of times the kickstand has to go up and down um, in effect without the, uh, the cerebrum, without the brain guiding it. It goes by impulse and the same way that you blink your eyes or your heart works or you use your digestive tract, the nerves are controlling it, but they're not nerves that you have control of. And so that becomes sort of subconscious. Hmm. So you have the, the one way you can correct the foot is with a brace, if you will. Oh, well, with it, it's an insert that goes underneath the foot that kind of forces pressure upwards into the uh, what you would call the arch and allows for the kickstand to lower and raise because before it was just raised off the ground all the time and the tape would do the same thing by holding the foot in a in a healthier position with the tape tightly so that it, you know the tape would keep you in that position um, you you could use surgery as well the problem with surgery is that uh, you can get infections, you can get poor healing, you can have bad surgical results. Um, and sometimes the wrong, the, uh, this is the benefit of foot typing that oftentimes in the past, the wrong surgery was done for the, you know, for the foot. And now that we foot type, we're doing the, the surgery that actually fixes the foot very focused. Jeez, that's amazing, right? People put so much time and attention into doing a surgery, and we have all these other non-surgical you know, surgical options. Yeah, it also depends on how heavy you are, what sport you're playing, yeah. uh, what your genetics are, um, your, your, what we call it myofascia. The, uh, we're 98% water, and the myofascia is kind of like a, a sweater with a lot of holes in it that decides our form without the myofascia we'd be a puddle on the floor and the myofascia also contains what they call proprioceptive nerve endings which give the brain information and data on where you are in space and how you have to move and how you go and then it translates back when the brain tells it you know how to move it's very very yeah. very very complex no, it seems like it. And with all these variables that go into determining who end up who end up using the products, which demographic uses the product most frequently? Is it athletes, general population, elderly folks, young folks, or I would say whoever? in a different way uh, to the audience that if somebody is presenting something to you that they say helps everybody, I would run away from that person as fast as I can. You know, take this supplement and you'll be better. Use this insert and you'll, you'll all be better. And it cures everything because each one of us is a snowflake and we all know that snowflakes are all different. And, and so that's the reason for professional uh, mentoring and coaching and training and, and uh, monitoring um, because at that point, 
you were running six miles a day and you were fine and now you're running 10 miles a day and your knee is killing you. Um, and so something, something changed. So when that something does change, who is the intended audience of your, 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 your practice then? Uh, I would say anybody with at least one foot that has a, uh, has a, a prosthesis on the other foot. And I, it's kind of a joke, but um, assuming that the person is upright and fu functioning, my goal is to keep that person, for instance, for senior citizens, we do fall prevention with working with balance. With uh, pitchers and hitters in baseball, we stabilize the foot uh, so that the, the throwing arm and, the, ba and the, battles, the bat swing, the same thing in golf, same thing in boxing. A dancing boxer doesn't hit anywhere near as hard as a stabilized standing still boxer. And standing still on the best pair of feet it throws the hardest punch. So it's, it's really not regarding age. The earlier I get somebody, the faster I could, you know, heal them. And when I get very old people, uh, I, I can do some good. In other words, I can't turn them back, uh, turn the clock back 40 years, but we can give them better balance, better stability, better support from the ground up, which almost every senior citizen appreciates. Yeah, so just removing this out of context for a second, um, in class this week, we were reviewing the, um, the hip hinge or also known as like a deadlift movement pattern. Okay. And one student was curious about the foot positioning. Um, a cue that we use is corkscrew the ground with your feet. So if that makes sense, you're tightening the ground like you would screw or a corkscrew of, of a, a wine opener into the ground. Well, basically what I, um, I, I follow what you're saying. But First what, what of all, was... when you're not doing a squat correctly, there's two things that you generally do. You take your feet and you move them outward. In other words, your heels stay the same, but the front of your foot goes left and right outward away from your body, and that's unhealthy. Uh, and the second thing you do is you bend your back forward. So theoretically, if you did a squat perfectly, you'd slide down a wall and your back would never move. That doesn't really happen. But the more you're pitching forward with your back and the more you're taking your feet out, once you fix the foot um, posture, you would no longer have to do those things. So the corkscrew yeah. is really your, uh, uh, what you're explaining is that you're trying to engage that kickstand with both feet into the ground to make you as stable as possible so that you can perform the squat with more weight on your back. Correct. And ultimately it was to further explain the concept of irradiation, right? How everything travels from the ground up, you know, through the leg, up through the core, and then, you know, to produce movement ultimately during the, whatever exercise it is. Yeah, uh, we always have a, a force. In other words, the force here is gravity and the hard ground. And uh, let's change to a push-up where now uh, uh, the physical therapist would say that every muscle has an origin and an insertion and a function. And they say that the origin of the bicep, the muscle when you do a curl, the muscle that, that takes your hand towards your body is called the bicep, and the muscle that straightens your arm is called the tricep. Uh, and when you do a curl, they say the bicep originates in the shoulder and inserts into the wrist and takes your wrist when it, when it contracts 
to and from the body. But now let's say we add a force like the ground and because there's no force on, on that, it's just you're lifting the weight, but there's no force controlling the move, the actual movement. So now you're doing a push-up and you're on the ground and in effect, the bicep is originating in your arm. It's inserting into the shoulder and it's taking the body to and from the ground, totally reversing everything that uh, I guess that you would read about the bicep. That's that's called closed yeah. chain. Yeah. So speaking of closed chain, the opposite would be an open chain movement. But through our past discussion, you've made this distinction with closed chain, open chain kinetics, exercise movements, and it's taken out of context the muscles, muscle action in the textbook. You just said it there, the biceps. Where else do we see that taken out of context? Well, it's not out of context. It's, it's, taken, it's taking an engineering term and trying to apply it to a biological order, organ that can change. Um, so the context is correct. In other words, if I'm strictly moving my arm in space at my shoulder, turning it in or out or up and down, there's no other joint in my arm or muscle in my arm that's being affected. But once I do that with my hand against the wall, all of those other joints are being affected. Um, and that's the difference. A closed chain has some kind of counterforce. A pitcher, the counterforce would be the ball. A batter, the, the counterforce would be the bat. That's you swing at the back and you feel a shockwave going up your arm that's coming back from the bat. And if there was no bat in your hand, you would just swing free and, and there'd be no stress into your arm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, kind, so of, it's then... kind of complex. The example I'll give you, I think everybody knows who Isaac Newton was. And he invented uh, the three laws of, you know, gravity and acceleration and inertia. Uh, in Newton's law, that it, we say that if we drop uh, three items of the same mass uh, from a tree, they would all hit the ground at the same time. Well, first of all, that happens in a, um, in a vacuum, and our air has particles and things that drag us down. But if we took the same mass of a bunch of feathers, a big bunch of feathers and a piece of gold and a bird that all sort of weighed and had the same mass and we dropped them from a tree, the bird would fly away. And so once you add biology, if you roll me and a snowball down a hill, I can stop. And so his laws don't apply directly. There's additional things of friction and shear and other secondary and tertiary laws where most of the biomechanical people are engineers and they believe that the human body follows Newton's laws perfectly and there's nothing further than the truth. Interesting. It is taught that way in the classroom, right? The textbook laws. It, it certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, you know, we thought the world was flat for a long time. Yeah. Almost thinking like with the, with the snowball example, right? You have acceleration and you have initial velocity, final velocity, all of that. And the traditional, you know, Newton's law was it force equals mass times acceleration. 
doesn't account for the other components, right? Well, it doesn't account for my ability to put on the brakes. Exactly. Or or speed up. I I could roll faster if I want to. Otherwise, we wouldn't have ski jumps. Everybody would be jumping exactly the same. (laughs) You know, you throw eight eight stones Mm -hmm. down a ski lift. And they'd all do the same thing. We, we have the ability to go left and right and change and do all of those kind of things. So anytime you're talking architecture, it's different than bioarchitecture. Anytime you're talking engineering, it's bioengineering or biomechanics. And, and uh, the, the laws, there's a, there's a uh, intelligence and, and adaptability and, uh, and that exists, that's, again, I'll say it, every one of us is different. And so we could only really research one person and try and find a bunch of person that have the same characteristics and study them. And there goes my foot typing. In other words, I'm mm. studying the same foot type and I get better results than studying a thousand feet that have different foot types. Yes, you would. No, I, I like that snowball example. So even just over here in New York, it, it snowed yesterday, first time this yeah, winter. Yeah. And right, if you were going snow tubing down the hill, you can ultimately dictate your velocity by changing where your center of mass is, right? If you shift a little bit forward or backwards, displace that uh, center of mass. So let, let's use a surfboard and say yeah. that totally what you're doing is changing the at the foot contact point of the, of the uh, surfboard. You're changing stability, support, strength, symmetry, and balance at, to, to do different movements. It's, it's exactly what I'm talking about. That was a great example, Michael. No, it is. It's a very good example. I like the surfboard one because it does bring your foot back into play. Yeah, no, well, it's always there if we're in contact with the ground. Yeah, it's amazing, right, how, how often we give our foot bad posture. When we're sitting even, relaxed, supposedly relaxed, our foot's either, our toes are, you know, curled up, we're sitting in pronation or supination. Well, the, the body uh, uh, is built for, I guess, like any other machine, a lifetime. And, and um, theoretically, uh, like, in other words, I can meet a client who's 60 years old, who's kind of weak and... and uh, has been sitting on a couch a lot and within six or eight weeks of uh, foot typing them, putting some tape on, giving them an insert and giving them some exercises, all of a sudden they're jumping higher, they're moving better left and right, they could lift one foot off the ground and have better balance, they're stronger, they can open up a jar now because their grip got better and, and you're changing the person's life and now you have so many young people that you know, I'm going to get a scholarship at the uh, University of Florida in uh, lacrosse at, when they inherited collapsed feet and, and a bad posture and, uh, and you know, uh, the, the, a body type that, that doesn't fit with lacrosse, so to speak. So at some yeah. point, they're going to hit a wall of disappointment um, instead of uh, training themselves to be lacrosse ready and powerful or picking a different sport. If, if um, I have five kids and I, my girls are athletic as well, and I always said to them, 
I love you so much, but I didn't love what you did today on the baseball field. You struck out four times. And if you don't do something about that, you're either going to be very poor at paying baseball, so pick another sport, or dedicate yourself to really wanting to do this and do the right things. And the right things is to, to get your foot and posture into shape and then uh, get yourself stronger, more powerful, better stabilized and ready, uh, and then have somebody in the baseball world coach you and train you in the form of running and batting and pitching and whatever else you're trying to do. And you could apply that to any any human movement or any sport or any activity level or any job. Yeah, that's, that's well said. It, 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 the foot is so complex at that level. And the athletes do need that attention given to proper foot mechanics. It's, again, everything's from the ground up. Everything. Yeah. In, in other words, there are professionals, for instance, you have back pain, they'll focus on your back and might even say that your back problem is causing your flat feet and they're just very wrong. Um, so uh, I would say to a client with back pain, let me take care of your feet. And then if you still have back pain, I'll send you to a specialist who's helped your back. But if, if I fix your feet and your back pain goes away, then we've eliminated the root cause and, you know, you didn't need whatever other procedures they were going to do or suggest. Mm -hmm. So another term around the foot and it's large in sports and, and exercise lifting is the term ankle dorsiflexion. Yeah, we call it Aquinas, the, the, the ability to, um, dorsiflex meaning lift up the foot and really what we're talking about when you're on the ground to have a stabilized foot and cross your body forward across your foot so that your head is in front of your feet and mm -hmm. if you can't do that the muscle in the back of the leg called the triceps it's the two heads of the gastrox and a muscle called soleus they can tighten up and if they tighten up you can't dorsiflex and but I'll, I'll use the example that they have to be fairly tight if you're going to be a good athlete. And um, most people don't know it. I'll ask you, Michael, uh, a thoroughbred horse runs on what they call a hoof, right? So uh, compare the hoof to a foot. What is the hoof? What is the hoof composed of? What is the horse running on? He's running on his third toenail. Mm -hmm. And and the ankle has come off the ground. It's called the hock. And, Correct. And so that's Aquinas. Equus is the horse in Latin. So Aquinas is the ability or the ability to come take your heel and bring it down to the ground. Interesting. So that's the terminology that, that's, that's used, Aquinas. Yes. Uh, well, professionally, uh, you're lacking dorsiflexion, it, or, or the other, uh, the disease would be called a drop foot. Drop foot, correct. So that's kind of an issue, right? We have all these different terminologies for the similar, the same exact, same exact We're issue. all dealing with the same feet and body. And, yeah. and we have different, in other words, uh, here in science, we have something that we call consensus. 
you know, we all have a pretty good consensus that the sky is blue. We don't need studies on it. We don't need, you know, that the ocean is wet. We don't, we don't need studies and evidence to prove that the ocean's wet. Uh, but but um, when, when you come to biological systems, uh, studying them, you have to eliminate, uh, I'll give a terrible example, which is that uh, when COVID hit, we had our vaccines and for almost six months, children and pregnant women and their babies were dying of COVID because they couldn't take the vaccine. And the reason was that the children and pregnant women were not put in the cohort, the study group for the vaccine. So it wasn't that they might not work. It was that it was not proven. And for six months, then they did studies on kids and pregnant women and said, oh, okay, it's okay for you too. But meanwhile, thousands and thousands of people got sick and died. Hmm. I mean, this is definitely off the scope of the, of the talk, but a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Why didn't the original test like maybe include females and young children? The cost and you wouldn't get good results. Okay. That, that's the whole point. In deterministic study, you, you re reduce or eliminate variables. And there's something for those of you that are oriented to algorithms and engineering, there's something called outliers they're dots on, on, you know, of, of subjects that didn't fit into the algorithm. And in reality, those are the people that I need to treat most. And they eliminate them from the study because they would ruin the, uh, uh, those people wouldn't get benefit from, from what they were studying. Amazing. The population that needs it the most is left out. Yep. So Gosh. that in uh, terminology, they're doing deterministic work and I'm doing what's called stochastic work. Yeah. I'm, I'm keeping the only variable that I'm controlling is foot type. Mm -hmm. So reining it in back on the foot, then you mentioned the, the horse analogy, right? Running on the third tone now. And I know through our discussion prior to this, you mentioned a more um, nuanced or earlier version, the, the Eohippus. Eohippus was a prehistoric horse. It was about three feet tall and it ran on a foot. And then we have five or six other skeletons of prehistoric horses that slowly took themselves off the ground and eventually turned into the thoroughbred who ran on its, uh, on its toenail. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is happening with us. Nike did studies um, for about 30 years and slowly but surely we're, we're getting more Aquinas. Uh, in other words, especially those people that want to focus on running forward. So is there something we think should... about it? How many times have you ever seen a horse move sideways? I mean, actually move sideways. Never. Never. <laughs> so there's no water so, movement. By having the ankle joint in there and the rear foot that moves side to side, we can play tennis and they can't. That's amazing. That that's a really good depiction right there. Yep, that we've had a, quite a few much. this uh, this hour. What the depictions? You know, ideas, thoughts, <laughs> the the you know things to think about and ponder, and and actually yeah, no, decide that's... whether what we're saying makes sense 
And then the person, the scientist will say, well, they have no evidence. They have no proof. Well, um, the proof is that we can fix people and, and not have them have surgery. The surgeon doesn't, not that they're mean and, and don't want you to be healthy, but they don't want my work uh, in place because it's going to reduce the number of people that need surgeries. And the pharmaceutical industry certainly doesn't want it. They, if, if you don't have pain, they can't sell you pain pills. And what I'm doing relieves your pain from a, a root cause and from the ground up. Yeah. 80% of us have foot pain at some point in the course of our life. Hmm. That's a high They're number. Huge. Huge. Especially yeah, since literally. we're living longer and we're turning obese and, and we're not as active. Uh, I can give you a million reasons why. They want to know why the injury rate is going up. There's a study that just came out today or two days ago that basically predicted that younger people are getting colorectal cancer. 50-year-olds, okay. they're advising now to start having, you know, cancer checks for your rectum in the 20s. And the reason is that all the comorbidities, if you're fat, if you're diabetic, if you're not active, if you're, you know, then uh, if you're, you know, you're going to get disease faster. Yeah, that's that's kind of the whole purpose, right? It's just to create movement in life. People are so sedentary right now and we let these risks, risk factors just build up and there's no clear end in sight. We can talk all this, you know, science jargon and whatnot, but for the end user, it's just about moving better, moving through space more optimally. I would hope that the folks just listened intently on what you just said, because it summarizes human life and function. And, and we're being taught to like uh, away from that, you know, we're being taught. Uh, there are four states in the United States now that the number one body type is obese. And hmm. within another six to 10 years, that's going to be the normal, the, the most common body type in America. That's really sad. I mean, it'll it'll benefit right the the surgeons as you, you said right who need and mcdonald's need. and and you know and whipped cream and 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 candy makers and cake makers <laughs> making money out of this. you know it's it's uh the those things shouldn't exist they should exist i say when i'm doing um um you know certified health coaching to people i say to them Tell me the five favorite foods, the foods that you love the most that you know are awful for you. And they go ice cream yeah. and potato chips and treat them like a vacation. To me, a vacation is something that I plan in the future and I'm smiling about going there and then I go there and have a great time. And then I think about having gone there for a while and it reduces my stress and it's good for my health. And think about ice cream the same way. Ha have that tub of ice cream once every three weeks and and alternate those five favorite foods let's say once a month and and now you're gonna lose weight and and if you start being a little bit more active and try and reduce your stress and and you know and do some there's five or six things that you should be doing uh that most of us are not um but but make it a make it a vacation, make it a pleasure, make it a treat instead of something you have when you're nervous or something you had when you fail a test 
or something that you have when, you know, the girl didn't respond uh, on a date. Uh, you, you, you know what I'm saying? It's it's yeah. it should be reserved not as uh, you, you know not as a uh, as a pill. You know, it should be reserved as a treat. No, I like that a lot, and I think humans we we function our best in, in a high in a high state capacity. So, do things repetitively enough, we'll see. You know, if they're, if they're to your detriment, you'll see a, a negative effect. But start to do things that'll shape you more positively, and you should be able to thrive off of that. I mean, just change your diet for five days out of a week. You'll want to that diet to continue. That tub of ice cream just doesn't taste quite as good. It doesn't. You, you almost lose your affinity, your, your requirement for that. Yeah, but then you're that, doing that. it You're doing it in the right way for yourself instead of um, I'm, I'm going low on my battery again. Okay, I got uh-huh. it. Um, are we back? Yes, we are. Um, Get me back on my train, Michael. Uh, dieting um, in terms of... We, we, we go from one insane way of eating, which keeps us overweight and unhealthy, and to cure that, we pick another uh, beneficial but overzealous program, and they call it yo-yoing, and, and we go between... when I, Again, when I'm working with people, I ask them... I'll, I'll say to them, can you do 100 push-ups? And they look at me and they laugh. You know, that's ridiculous. I said, well, can you do two push-ups? Yeah, I think I can. Well, do put two push-ups 50 times a day, and you'll be doing 100 push-ups a day, and watch what happens. I say the same mm-hmm. thing for food. If you lost two pounds a, a week, you know, and there's 50 weeks, if you did that, you'd lose 100 pounds in a year. And you'd yeah, be establishing a more normal, regular way of living life than yo-yoing. It does not work. Well, it, it works doesn't. for some, but uh, again, they'll yo-yo, you know. In other words, if you yo-yo and then add pickleball, you'll probably be okay. You know, in yeah. other words, there's you can cheat uh, on any one of six or seven. If you sleep better, you could eat more crappy food. Do you enjoy pickleball? I'm uh, 77 now, and I'm a. Uh, I play pickleball with people 30, 40 years younger than me. Okay. Yeah. When I That's tell possible, them I'm 77, right? they look at me and they say, "Oh man, I wish I was like that when I'm 77." <laughs> um, Dr. Shabelson's another example, right? That physicality does not have to end just because you reach a certain number. I I use reach- physiological age, not not biological age. Perfect. In other words, there's 20-year-olds that can't comb their hair, and there's 80-year-olds that could pull tanks with their teeth. Yeah. So what, what what's the future of your research, right? You're still up. Um... Well, I am now looking to um, my sense is that the ultimate decision maker in many of these um, uh, questions or answers are running insurance companies or a healthcare um, division or their doctors who um, they don't know what the name of my dog is and they don't know or, or even care. Uh, I don't know what you'd say, how my day was the day before. They're just interested in what the blood test reads or what the x-ray is showing them or the MRI. 
and I'm trying to put these skills into the hands of the people that are really directly related to the population, like trainers and coaches and therapists and human movement people. And, and the, um, the categories are the get sickness community, come to me when you need a surgery or a pill, and the wellness community, which is let, let me, uh, you know, work with your life and lifestyle and, and your, you know, the variabilities and the changes that you're going through um, and, and putting those skills, putting the tape and the, the inserts and the exercises into those hands to decide when to change them and how it should be done instead of some doctor telling the baseball team that this is the way the New York Yankees had 11 of their players needing Tommy John surgery. Two of them were outfielders. And, you know, it happens to do when you're cranking the ball. And the, the, I, I think baseball lost something like, uh, I don't know what the $1.2 billion on missed injury days in baseball mm -hmm. last year. She's substantial. And so it, it, you know, with all their brilliance and all their evidence and all their importance, they, they can't figure out how to do prevention, performance enhancement, quality of life upgrading, the things that we're all really interested in having and maintaining throughout our lives. Yeah. Well, I think you're on to something, Dr. Shavelson, and hopefully no people are listening to this. They can hear you. Well, we'll find out. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a logic to it. There, there's a flow to it. There's some, I don't know what. Um, yeah, I guess the word really is logic. It, it, it's a logical progression. And there's some things that you just have to trust to other people that, that work. And, and I guess we should interject. There are people on my side of the scale that'll tell you that if you um, put this elephant hair around your wrist, and spit three times into the wind, your arthritis is going to go away. And they're in a yacht, pleasantly, you know, enjoying themselves. So you have to be skeptical and be a watchdog. And, and if you yourself are making good decisions, you would know who to run from and who to go to. Well said. Uh, let's leave it on here. What would you like to leave the audience with? What would I like to leave them with? Well, a smile and, and having the sense that when they hang up, uh, they're making some better decisions than they were, were making an hour ago. And, and uh, I guess if I do that for one or two people, I would feel that it accomplished uh, my purpose. Nice. Where can people reach out to you? What's the best contact method? Um, well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn um, uh, pretty, pretty heavily. Uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a website, which is www.foothelpers.com, F-O-O-T-H-E-L-P-E-R-S.com. And um, I, if you put in Dennis Shavelson on Google, you'll get about 10 pages of stuff, good and bad. Great. With that being said, I will link your website in the bio of the podcast, along with your most recent work. Super. And I'd like to thank you as a person of your generation that is taking interest in the future and trying to educate people and, and open up some eyes and get, I practiced in New York city for a while and I went by some very exclusive public, you know, private schools. And during lunchtime, 
when I was a kid during lunchtime, we played handball, we ran around, we socialized, we did things for an hour. These kids were in circles, all of them holding their phone. And I know they were talking to each other by, by, you know, by text. And, and that's what they did for an hour. So where am I and where are they going to be? Wow, two, two different ends of the spectrum, correct? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So I commend you for what you're doing. And to me, having us as, at different generations with similar thoughts and similar directions is a very powerful thing. And, and I take it as uh, a time well spent and very important. Yes. Well, thank you, Dr. Shavelson. You're welcome. Thank you.